Welcome to Illegal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Snowden, and we love professional wrestling. Been a little while. It's been a little while. We say that before every episode now. Um, yeah, we were. We started out a little more regular. Life got a little crazier. Yeah, there's so much going on, not just like in our regular lives, but in our kind of wrestling and and uh, combat sports lives. Uh, you know, I'm in the midst of now, deep into the process of writing this biography of Ken Shamrock, and so that's kind of been absorbing a lot of my time. As uh, it should. As it should, right? <laughs> you know, that's an actual paid project, and uh, that's not like just the podcast we do for fun. Um, obviously, we're going to be launching the MLW podcast soon, and I've got Bleacher Report stuff, and you know, you got these crazy kids running around the house. So. School's almost over, so we're in the midst of all these graduations and field days and uh, Wait, special... Wait, roller skating. Yeah, good behavior nights and stuff like that. So it's been a really packed schedule. So. Yeah, you brought out your Britney Spears roller skates. I did. It turns out I'm still really good. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> My kid, not so much. <laughs> no balance at all. I think I gotta take the hit for that. Um, so, we, did, we have had time, of course, to watch wrestling. That's what we do whether we're doing this podcast or not, and also to kind of follow along on Twitter with all the, the breaking news and all the goings on. And, and today, as we record this, will not be today for anyone listening, but today for us was a pretty big day as far as wrestling news and wrestling Twitter goes, because uh, after months and months of speculation, um, All Elite Wrestling has finally announced their uh, United States television deal, and it's a pretty big one. Yeah, I mean, we've spent a lot of time saying, well, I can't really answer this question or I don't really have a good feel for what AEW is. Now we're a little closer to understanding uh, what they are, what they want to be. Yes, so they have, uh, for, if you haven't heard, uh, All Elite Wrestling, AEW, has signed a, a deal with uh, TNT, with Turner, uh, to have weekly live wrestling events. In prime time, in they claim. In prime time on TNT. We don't know a lot more than that. There's no, uh, I, we don't really know for sure what, what day it's going to be on, what time, how long. Uh, all those uh, questions have yet to be answered. But we do know it's going to be on TNT, uh, which obviously has a long storied history of, of broadcasting professional wrestling that we enjoy. Okay. And so also, you know, this is kind of close to, to home for me. Uh, my main employer in this space is Bleacher Report, which is... Uh, uh, run by Turner Sports, uh, and Bleacher Report Live is going to be one of the entities that broadcasts uh, AEW wrestling. This, their pay-per-views especially are going to be exclusive through the BR Live app, and so uh, it's pretty exciting to, to be tangentially involved in, in this uh, tremendous enterprise because, you know, uh, you and I are very excited about AEW. I am. I think there's any chance that uh, more of your wrestling pitches will get picked up by Bleacher Report. (laughs) (laughs) It's been uniformly like no across the board for several years, but what about now? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, You know, there's a pretty... uh, Bleacher Report still maintains a pretty strict uh, separation between that kind of like commercial sales and the BR Live stuff and and what we do on the editorial side. So like, for example, 1FC is an MMA promotion that we uh, broadcast on Bleacher Report Live, but that doesn't mean that we've suddenly started covering them more than we ever did uh, on the Bleacher Report side. So I guess it'll... It'll depend on whether or not AEW captures an audience, and that's the big question yeah. with with all this stuff. Like, if they're big and they do a good job, 
maybe some of these pitches get picked up. Because right now, um, it's very difficult for me to pitch a wrestling story that's not WWE right, right. for our mainstream audience of mainstream sports fans, CNN readers. Uh, the the idea is that they're not going to care about anything that's not really big time wrestling. Gotcha. So uh, that, that that's an open question. I've been invited, though, by Bleach Report to pitch ideas for AEW stories. And so uh, I'm excited to do that. Maybe we'll get to tell some of these stories. It's, it, it'll be fun. I, I love writing about wrestling. I don't get to do it that often, at least on that, on that, in that part of my career. Right, right. So if, you, so if they get this uh, wrestling war really going, you think there'll be some interest there? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I hope that they kind of like can just kind of uh, exist side by side. I know there's like a, a subset of fans that really enjoy the idea of these two entities like being like. But wasn't that part of the Monday Night Wars that there was actually a war? No, I mean, there, there was definitely a full on war at that time. And that that was kind of like uh, harkens back to the 1980s when Vince McMahon first blew up the territory system where the agreement was groups would not compete with each other, competed with everybody, put almost everyone out of business. So that was kind of like the paradigm that wrestling existed in this real competitive space where one group was going to try to kill another group. Uh, And so I don't think that's the only way it can exist, but maybe it'll be exciting if it does. I I don't know. Well, I see the fans online, you know, are already starting to promote the idea as like a war. I just wondered whether or not they can reach... Uh, the level of success they need without making it feel like a Monday Night War. It'll be interesting to see the, what how what kind of audience they draw initially. They, we really don't have any idea for you know what they're capable of, how how deep the interest is in wrestling that's not WWE wrestling is in in the world. Like we know there's a, a small indie wrestling level kind of audience, right? Whether or not there's like a million people, which is kind of like your baseline. TNT audience is a million plus people. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Like, is there that many people dying to watch wrestling that's not, you know, New York wrestling? It's a tall order. It's uh, a challenge, right? Like, right on TNT, right at prime time. I mean, they're gonna have to be ready to go from day one. One thing I like about the the war is not like the the fact that they're competing with each other and trying to hurt each other, but it's more the idea of like it, it keeps the other organization on its toes. Right, it makes them, uh, you know, they have to be hungrier, more creative. They have to they have to try harder. Uh, that's something WWE hasn't had in a long time because you know when Eric Bischoff and Nitro was challenging Raw, they had to come up with something new to to compete right and they haven't had that challenge in a long time so perhaps this will be uh the thing that that gets wwe firing and all on all cylinders again because you it's so creatively bankrupt right now that um it that almost seems like you can't even remember the last time it's been interesting right so but you know like wrestling war that you and i have never really embraced i don't think uh, is that nature of like you got it you're either WCW or your WWE or your AEW or your WWE. Oh, right. Yeah, never. I mean, the whole premise of this podcast is that we're watching wrestling from all over the world, big and small territories, uh, you know, just a, a gamut of wrestling. And we're picking out the five things we like the best. And that's not like the five AEW things or the five right. MLW things or the five WWE things. It's just five wrestling things. Right. So um, that's kind of our mission statement. <laughs> That's true. Don't make me pick one. No, I, I can't possibly pick one. 
I, I wouldn't want to. Like, why would you? Like, wrestling has the capability of being so diverse and so uh, interesting in so many different ways. Like, I wouldn't want to be like, I only want this brand of wrestling or this style of wrestling. Exactly. Uh, give me all of it. Uh, with that said, uh, that's kind of an introduction for uh, what, what we're about here. So you want to uh, bust into this top five? Five, four, three, two, one, fire. haven't uh, recorded for like two weeks so our number five is a little bit old it's not exactly breaking news but it's still pretty exciting i think and uh that was the announcement at the end of new japan's road to dantaku show that chris jericho is coming back to new japan yes it was a it was a very well produced video too i thought like it was a stylish i mean it was goofy of course and chris jericho was wearing his clown it makeup. was perfect yes and he was wearing like his like hipster clothes from like a decade ago even though he's like 50 something like it was chris jericho yes and then uh his performance was so over the top he said i'm gonna win it's perfect and i loved it like and uh what what amazed me about it is like you know how responsive the Japanese crowd was to him. They seemed very excited, actually. Yeah. I, I, so what he announced was that he's challenging Okada for the belt. Yes. At uh, Dominion. I guess we kind of you, you kind of missed we, that. Yeah, yeah we, we buried, we skipped, the, lead we buried the lead. Yeah. So Chris Jericho <laughs> is going to challenge for the the world championship, the most prestigious wrestling championship in the entire world, in my opinion is Okada's IWGP championship, and he's going to put that on the line against Chris Jericho. And so uh, for traditionalists, this is a a sacrilege uh, in some form because, you know, Japanese wrestling is thought to be sports-based in some sense. And the last time we saw Chris Jericho, he was losing a match for the secondary title, right. the Intercontinental title, uh, against Naito. Or of course. Naito is Also, Christensen. he was also telling us that he was coming back for that IWGP. He did. <laughs> championship. So perhaps like the standard rules don't apply to Chris Jericho. Why would they? So, um, yeah, there there is a subset of um, hardcore fans that are don't like this at all. And then there's you know there's also the idea that this kind of like exists outside the normal structure of New Japan. It really does. Yeah, do you get that feeling? It was just like. Um, with this, you know, we do this, we do this, we do this. This is our normal thing. We're going to have uh, Dantaku. We're going to have Dominion. We're going to have G1. We're going to have the Tokyo Dome. But, you know, we're also we're going to throw Chris Jericho in there. It's kind of like mixing things up. And right. It's like you press pause on your normal program, and here comes Chris Jericho. Yeah, I kind of like it, to be honest. I, I mean, right now we're in this position where um, you, we don't know who the clear frontrunner is for a chance at that belt. And we're not really going to get a chance to build that because right now we're doing best of super juniors and that kind of moves all the way in uh, to Dominion. And so what we're going to get is we're going to get this Chris Jericho match and then we're going to get Tanahashi and Jay White fighting it out essentially to be, uh, you know, to proclaim themselves like the top contender for the next chance. And my belief and hope is that all this is uh, in pursuit of establishing eventually Ibushi Kota Ibushi, the Intercontinental Champion, is a, a major challenger for for the big belt down the road. I, you know, I think that what they're not, you know, it's not so subtle that they're drawing comparisons to the time that Shinsuke Nakamura had the Intercontinental title, and his his whole premise was like, I hold this title, that makes it just as 
prestigious as the yes. IWGP title. And they're trying the same gimmick with Ibushi, um, but I think they need a little bit more time to establish him yes. in that role. So I think it's good for them to have Jericho in their... Uh, not, I don't want to say wasting time, but filling some time. And then you're filling some time with the Jay White, uh, Tanahashi. Who, who quite honestly should get a rematch. Yeah, I mean, he had beaten Okada so many times in a row. And then, you know, he lost the, uh, the bigger, the biggest match of, of them all. But, uh, you know, he still has that track record against Okada that probably makes him uh, deserving of a title if you look at it from some kind of sporting standpoint. And so um, that'll be cool. And then eventually I think maybe we'll see Ibushi. Uh, and Okada, I'm you know I'm never a hundred percent sure what they're up to, but that's my sense is that they're building Ibushi and the Intercontinental Title as as a big deal. Mm-hmm. I think Ibushi will win the G1 uh, as Intercontinental Champion and and fight someone at the Tokyo Dome for the championship. What about Naito and his quest to have both belts? I think that's interesting. Yeah, um, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it'll be Naito that does the, that. It'll be one or the other. I think. So, um, I, we could go with, uh, my idea, which is have Naito constantly talk about taking the intercontinental title, winning the G1, winning the IWGP championship only in the most Naito like booking possible, actually have Ibushi do exactly that. That is the most Naito-like storyline ever. To have Ibushi live Naito's dream. Yes. His dream comes true. It's It's just someone else is living it. That is such a Naito storyline. If you look at Naito's history, like, that would just be absolutely perfect. Like, I would have to really take my hat off and congratulate New Japan on, like, what would basically amount to, like, a five-year story (laughs) (laughs) of poor dirtbag Naito getting constantly screwed over. My my favorite thing, and it tickles me to like this moment. I'm smiling right now just thinking about uh, Chris Jericho in this video, just <laughs> screeching, "I'm gonna win! I'm gonna win!" And like poor Okada, like can't hold a straight face no. at all in the ring. Like uh, he's obviously gonna get a real kick out of doing this match. I think so. And um, so I I don't know. There was something glorious about it. Like just the it, it was. Uh, the kind of absurdity that you can only see in professional wrestling. And so um, I, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm excited to see what, what they can do. Uh, it'll be a different sort of Okada match, a different challenge for him uh, artistically in the ring. And, um, and you know that Jericho will bring a level of excitement, at least here domestically, for the American audience that you, know, you don't always see for some of the other matches. So that'll be fun, too, to see... Um, some people jumping in on New Japan who don't always watch. Yeah, I mean, this will be, what, um, just a couple of weeks after Double or Nothing? Yeah, so it'll be, he'll, things, Jericho will be hot. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Really, it'll be a really hot period there. Yeah, he'll be main eventing the two biggest shows of that time period, like back to back. And uh, Well, this match was absolutely nothing that I was expecting, and now it is everything I want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so, number four. Uh, this also goes back two weeks, uh, but we couldn't not mention this. This is uh, Selena De La Renta uh, from MLW was given the, the first time ever, I think, a woman was a, an executive producer of a wrestling show. She ran the MLW Fusion show two weeks ago, and this was a masterful episode of MLW, which we love. Yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. I remember at the end, I mean, I think it was maybe like 47 minutes long or something. It felt like about 10 minutes. 
I was like, wait, is that, are we seriously done with this episode? MLW always feels that way. Like oh, the it, pace is so great. Yeah. I mean, it just always, and it always leaves you like satisfied, but also wanting a little bit more. Yeah. Like oh, you're ready to see what's going to happen the next week. Yeah, for sure. So this was a great episode. So much was going on and it started, I thought, with something that, um, you you picked up on that I didn't hear the announcers or anyone else say this was a couple of weeks ago when yeah. they did the battle riot. Um, but there's obviously some dissension brewing between Loki, the former world champion, and his manager, Selena De La Renta. Like, uh, they're not seeing eye to eye. Yeah, I pointed it out to you at the time. I, I just, I thought up until now, you would have considered Loki to be Selena's, uh, you know, biggest weapon. So sure, was, he was the champion. Right. So it was very surprising to me that uh, when she went out and got, you know, the 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 best numbers to enter the Battle Riot, that she didn't give the best number, you know, being the last entrant to Loki, but instead to L.A. Park. I immediately said, hmm, I don't know. I think there might be trouble there. And they have built that. Yeah. So yeah. congratulations. Good and good good story writing. I uh, picked up on that immediately. And that does tend to happen a lot with MLW where we'll like ask a question like why is this, you know, why is no one saying anything about this or you know and and then they'll address it on their television like the next week or whatever. Like uh, they obviously have people on who are savvy, I think. And and maybe or maybe we're just on the same wavelength with them. Yeah, maybe. So um that, that would make sense since we are going to do their official podcast starting in a couple of weeks. So, um, but you know, this was more than just that single match. There was like so much stuff like that. They started the introduction of the show had uh, Rich Boschini uh, introducing Selena in this grandiose way. And Jim Cornette was like kind of scoffing at it. And she told old man Cornette that he should be spending his time coffin shopping. Um, <laughs> there's just so much great stuff in this. There was a, a the best match I think I've seen yet between uh, Hee Ho to L.A. Park, uh, his best singles match in MLW at least against so. uh, Gringo Loco, which was fun. And then um, L.A. Park himself, <laughs> the artist formerly known as Parker, came out and uh, had a match with Penta. Yeah, that was the it was their second match and. Uh... Well, I mean, if you haven't seen the first one, you should probably check it out. It's nutty. Uh, this one was just the same kind of just, uh, I, how did you describe it? A bit of a clusterfuck. <laughs> <laughs> a total But in the best possible way. Yeah, it was this, but it was only the second best clusterfuck of this period. But we'll talk more <laughs> about that uh, coming up. But uh, yeah, I mean, so L.A. Park is, is the guy who was La Parca. The guy who dresses like a skeleton, used to dance on a chair the in chairman. WCW, the chairman of the board of WCW. He's still around 20 years later. He is indeed in his 50s. He is indeed probably a good 300 plus pounds. And he is indeed still flying around trying to do these crazy moves. And as you might imagine, an old man, an old fat man trying to do these intricate, crazy wrestling spots, it doesn't always, it's not always aesthetically beautiful. Mm. The way it, it doesn't, it's not always perfectly executed. No. But at some point, like, does it matter? No. I guess not as long as no one gets hurt. That's true. Looking at it as a human being, like, <laughs> as a... 
a viewer of entertainment like it's okay with me if it's not perfectly done and i think like you know i see some a lot of people are really critical of la park because part of its backlash because there was a community of hardcore fans talking about how great he still is so then of course there has to be a corresponding group that of course poking holes in it but he doesn't get the leeway that like jericho or like bill goldberg or other people of his age get um where you know you say he's good, but, you know, there's kind of that unwritten uh, asterisk that says... But old. Yeah, good for <laughs> a 50-plus-year-old guy. So, um, with that said, this was certainly enjoyable television to me. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I liked the first match, too. Um, you're always going to get... Well, I mean, also, both of these guys um, you know, are not afraid to, you know, really go hard at each other. And uh, so, I, I enjoy that. And then you could feel the presence of Jim Cornette at the very end of this program where Selena believed she had been given a giant <laughs> present by her sponsors. And then and they go, there's a giant box sitting on the stage <laughs> and they go to open up the box and old Mancer is in the box. Yes. Mance Warner, the king of lariats and light beer is in the box. Well, he's been waiting there for God knows how long to get his revenge. It was worth it. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, wrestling is so incredibly dumb, but also I love it. It's great. It is pretty great. Um, so the, the next match on our list, uh, number three equally is crazy. <laughs> clusterfuck dumb. Uh, as this one, more so possibly. Uh, this was PCO versus Matt Taven for the Ring of Honor World Championship. It was in Toronto, part of their War of the Worlds tour last week. and um, well, I really enjoyed the whole tour. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they did a good job. I, think I thought they did a really good job. There's so much criticism of them online, and I, I kind of hate it because um, it's true that a lot of the characters that people had, grow, had grown to love – you know, kind of all disappeared at once. But the people that are are filling those roles are are really working hard at it. Yeah, I mean, my I think my only criticism um, is that the weak parts are very weak, and there's parts of the shows that can be really cringy. But um, I mean, that's that's like a small percentage, and the, and they you know it's I think they they for the most part do a good job and. Um, you know, not everything's going to be a hit. Some things are going to be a miss. Uh, but I will say, on this tour, um, new champion Matt Taven was quite a hit. He had an excellent tour. I thought he did really well. And PCO, of course, is, has become like a guilty pleasure for so many of us wrestling fans. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he just does these crazy things that you, that no one should do, let alone a man in his, who was literally wrestling in the 80s. But is he a man? It's true. He's more than a man. He's some sort of cyborg. They like put like uh, jumper cables on him to yes, like charge him to, up. They have to electrocute him um, to get him ready. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into bringing him up to the ring yes. for sure. Uh, but you know, he does these things like he turns his back and and lets the guy attack him. And then later on in the match, he he dove out of the ring. But on the opposite side of the ring than Onto his opponent nothing. was, so he just dove out of the ring to nowhere, to the floor. Yeah, we were we were told he short circuited. So that was um, interesting. I've never seen that before. And then he got right back up and then did a dive out the other side of the ring that landed. Yes, he got his programming straight. I've never seen this in a wrestling <laughs> match. So, <laughs> well, if your gimmick is that you're a cyborg, I suppose sometimes you have to act like a cyborg. And then, uh, you know, there's there's heels that that want to be cool 
and and heels that secretly wish they were baby faces and want to sell merchandise. And then there are heels like Matt Taven, who is just a straight up bad guy. And he told us the night before what he was going to do, and then he did it. Yeah, PCO only has one good eye. He that's has, a shoot. He, yeah, that's a shoot. He literally has a, a fake eye. <laughs> and uh, and Matt Taven, while on commentary, just did not understand why any and all PCO opponents don't simply gouge his good eye. Because I mean, it's a ring of honor, Matt Taven. Where's the honor in that? It's a sporting contest. Okay, yes, true. Um, also, it, it it is a winning strategy. <laughs> if you have no honor and decency. Which he does not. He does not, clearly. Um, the other thing worth noting, besides him going after the eye and there being blood and, you know, great traditional wrestling stuff, is, uh, you know, for months, maybe years, I don't know, uh, PCO always attempts this, like, uh, senton dive uh, on the apron. The opponent always moves out of the way. He lands on the the apron, which is the hardest part of the ring. It's the hardest part of the ring, and he lands on <laughs> it back first, like every match. Only this time, he actually hit Matt Taven with it. I've never seen that before, so I was pretty pleased to see. It's like when Ric Flair would go to the top rope, always get caught and slammed off. Like it would be like if Ric Flair suddenly went to the top rope and actually landed a knee drop or an elbow drop or something <laughs> or a dive. Like this was it's that remarkable. Yeah, well, I, I think I've I've told you before in those kinds of spots. I think like I don't know one out of ten times you have to let it happen. Like you you can't always know that it's going to fail. Like because then it's not exciting anymore. It also, you know, doesn't make any sense. There's no <laughs> why credibility. Why do you keep doing right. this? Right. Like, you thought about that with Ric Flair every time, which is like, why do you run across the apron? It never to the, works for you. It has, it's the definition of insanity. Yes. You just, every night, you <laughs> do it again and again, Ric Flair. What are you thinking? But um, then you meet Ric Flair and you realize. Oh, okay. He's, a, <laughs> he's an idiot. Um, so uh, the match ended with some uh, tomfoolery. Of course. The, the king, kingdom, the came, kingdom out. came down. It did give an opportunity for PCO to somehow, I don't know how he did not cripple this guy, Vinny, but he power bombed yeah. him through a table in a way in which I didn't feel like it was uh, safe. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody else's problem, but like, oh, that was a brutal one. Yeah, it looked bad. So, um, yeah, that happened. I was then, a little worried they had to like kind of go over and like shake Vinny and like <laughs> to help him up, and I was like, well, oh. yeah, yeah, it was a bad. <laughs> and uh, and then you know that suddenly the match was over, and uh, felt like the crowd was primed for a PCO win. But um, sometimes that's good for your like your hero champion to like oh for sure to not get to should let the crowd it's think just it's going to happen. Another reason to hate him. Yeah, but uh, you know that's the best kind is where you think it could happen and it doesn't. As opposed to where it's just like kind of a given that he's going to win, I had there was a sense that there could be a title change, and that made it um, made the match even better. I thought so. To me, this this and Blind Kenny King, oh Blind Kenny King, uh, are the two best things happening in Ring of yes, Honor right that, now. That has been great. So uh, way way back in G One Supercard, right? Kenny King got misted by. The Great Muda. The Great Muda, or as he refers to him, the not-so-great Muda. Yeah, he's got a class-action lawsuit going. That's right. I, I Class of one. <laughs> so far. That's just a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> but then presumably there are a number of victims who have been missed by the Great Muda over the years. So. He named uh, several uh, possibilities to join his class-action lawsuit, but we were then told by Anne 
uh, Rick and Bonnie that they, in fact, were not joining the lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> so he's kind of out there on his own. So I, I do encourage people. Uh, we are not, we have no financial uh, relationship at all with Ring of Honor. You're but, not ready to start a Ring of Honor podcast. <laughs> but, but, uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm available. But uh, <laughs> I do... Uh, I do encourage people to buy the Honor Club. Like I, we, I've never thought once about canceling it. You know, we. I enjoy the shows. So yeah. it's, it's worth the nine or ten dollars or whatever it is. Um, go out and do it. You know, support wrestling. Um, so number two. Number two, we're moving over here to a promotion that we haven't really talked about very much. Yeah, not too much. We watched it a little bit at the beginning of the podcast, but we had because in their Jan they had a match in January that was a match of the year contender but this was another one yeah so uh we're talking about all japan pro wrestling yes and they had the finals of their champion carnival 2019 it was kento miyahara who is the triple crown champion which is like the, the world champion in, in all japan he was taking on jake lee uh the i was completely unfamiliar with jake lee so the champion carnival is like the all japan's version of g1 it's a tournament in which you know the winner gets to say hey look at me I'm the champion. Uh, I'm the best. Not it's not actually for the championship, so that's misspeaking. But yeah, so it's a big tournament. And right. So Kento is now the champion and the best. That's right. <laughs> and uh, this was a, a tremendous match, and there was a number of them. If you go back and and, and watch that this champion carnival, it was a really strong tournament overall. Um, I saw one guy said he had rated more than 15 of the matches over four stars on the uncle dave Meltzer scale whoa so um, that seems very generous that's probably generous but this was a legitimately excellent match oh yeah it was and uh you know what, what did you like about it uh i think um well I, what i liked about it was also what i didn't like about it which was um their use their liberal use of incredibly brutal headbutts i mean it it you know it was scary but also awesome <laughs> right and, and so that's like a thin a thin line right it's a dangerous line to walk we've seen yes with Shibata, it's gone bad it's gone bad like tragically bad a couple times and you know lots of things can go bad in wrestling it's a contact sport it's a sport where there's a lot of wear and tear and grind but um you know with these headbutts can be dangerous but it seems like everyone was okay so um I'm going to allow it for artistic purposes. And, and there was a lot of brutal stuff here. I remember um, Miyahara did a German suplex off the apron. Oh, yeah. Um, and some of this is like is a great tribute to the, the classic All Japan wrestling from when we were first fans, in which Misawa and Kawada and Kobashi and, and all these people were, were seemingly trying to cripple each other with those kinds of high-risk moves. And so bringing them back is, uh, is I guess, a tribute to, to the old school, but then you also have to remember, young man, um, what, what the result yes, can be. I feel true. like so old. So. I know, right. But it's, it's true, though. It's it's good and bad. And so it wasn't just Kento and Miyahara delivering the punishment. This guy, Jake Lee, is apparently a former uh, MMA fighter of some kind. And I remember at one point, like, he escaped this shutdown German suplex, and then he was just kneeing the crap yeah, out of Yeah, he had excellent Kento. striking offense. And, and he did a dangerous backdrop suplex in which he landed him right on his head. Like, it was, uh, th there was a give and take. It was not a one-sided no, beating no, by any means. All. And so, um, I don't know. I thought... Uh, 
I thought it was good, mm-hmm. and I like the way that they've done a pretty good job of protecting Miyahara's finisher, the shutdown uh, German suplex that he does, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like a straight jacket. Yeah. And uh, th- that kid has so much potential. And so uh, it- it's exciting to see all Japan um, maybe on their way to some kind of small recovery again. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess at this point we'd have to say, honestly, it's Miyahara that keeps drawing us over to watch For sure. know, some some all Japan um but uh, I also really liked the crowd, and that they were in, at Corrigan, and the crowd was just crazy. Oh, yeah. They, they were... were just really wild and engaged for the whole, and it's a long match, and I think uh, 28 minutes, if I remember correctly, and so they were they were engaged, like, the whole time. Yeah, this was fire like, yes. to them. Like, this was exactly, they wanted the, the injected right in their veins, like, it was... Uh, it was that kind of wrestling match. And that always adds to a match, oh, I yeah. think. To have like the crowd so invested in it really makes it... A, it gives you permission in your brain to care. Like you Yeah, know. well, also, I mean, you know, and just it's, maybe it's just selfish or whatever, but I also like to have that feedback so that, like, my brain is telling me, hey, this is really good, and the crowd is agreeing. Yeah, that's what so, I'm saying. So, so basically, I'm, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm smart. I'm, it yeah, is good. It's telling you, like, yeah, this is okay. My reaction is good and proper. That's their, their, they are reinforcing. So it's a very simple psychology. Um, but we're simple creatures. That's right. So, um, but as great as that much was, I don't think it's our number one. In fact, I know because we've already just said it was I'm number two. Pr- I'm fairly certain that you gave this next match number one before it even happened. I, I was so primed and ready for this match. Uh, they had done such a tremendous job. Like This is the best build to the, a match that I can remember in, in a long time uh, in the junior heavyweight division for sure. Um, because uh, Shingo Takagi and Sho from Rapungi 3K uh, were just electric together in the in the six and eight man tags and the tag team matches that they've done um the combination is great and and all of it was just building to the idea of can show beat shingo and um and he really gave it a good try yeah he he gave it his all um he admits that he's just not quite as tough as shingo well who is Uh, the guy (laughs) is built like a tank uh, if you, I've said this before, but like if you, you know how they recast Tiger Mask uh, multiple times. If you're going to recast Jushin Thunder Liger <gasps> um, as he retires this year, and, and there was going to be a Jushin Thunder Liger two, it could be Shingo Takagi. Oh yeah, he'd fit right in that. He, costume. he would fit right into the costume. Um, he wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And I mean that as a, a great compliment to to Shingo uh, that he could fill these these huge shoes should anyone want to do that but man this match was brutal yeah i mean they we knew all along that it was it was really going to come down to who was tougher who could take more punishment or who could deliver more punishment right and i think uh delivering it was shingo (laughs) the most definitely but i i liked show like there was some some changes in show that we've seen recently uh one like you know kind of like explicitly was the change in his outfit and his look for this match yeah so i didn't know this but i was i was kind of given advanced warning that when show and yo um compete in singles they move from their shiny gold and silver pants to shorts 
Yes. So they're they're both in shorts for the best of Super Junior uh, tournament. Um, you know, sh- shows are still pretty basic. Uh, Yo, however, is uh, has a pretty extra outfit. <laughs> yeah, he's got like friend elaborate fringe on just one leg, but only on one leg. <laughs> and but Sho also changed his hair color back. Yeah, that was really surprising. I almost didn't recognize it. <laughs> and and also though, in the ring, there's been some small changes I've noticed. Like he's kind of, I guess, the departure of Kushida to the WWE NXT has kind of opened up a spot for like the guy who does MMA spots right. in the junior division because now suddenly we've seen show who has a cauliflower ear. So a two, I think. Yeah. So he's got some sort yeah. of legitimate grappling background. Um, it's a or fa- like really awful siblings. Yeah. It's a fact free <laughs> podcast. So I don't know the details on that, but he, he's, uh, he has the ears of a shooter. Yeah. And so, you know, and he was incorporating a lot of arm bars, Camuras, and then, um, he would do this thing where he would work the arm in, in these arm locks and then in between would just kick the crap out of Shingo's arm. Right. And uh, all this worked really well, but it, it did not work well enough. The story was he was trying to stop um, Shingo's, they call it his pumping bomber, which is what they call his lariat, mm-hmm. his running lariat. And uh, that's one of his finishers. And he hit it, I think, three times in this match and it um, didn't quite work out. But the idea was he was weakening this which is one of Shingo's great weapons. Yeah. So it's a smart wrestling. Yeah, I mean, look at just look at Shingo's forearms. Obviously, they're his great weapons. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a really great back and forth match. I would be super surprised if anything in this tournament tops what they did here in day one. Maybe I could maybe the final if yeah. it, if it's what I think it might be. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, you have Will Osprey in this tournament. You, don't ever know what they're going to pull out. Um, we're a day behind um, in the Best of Super Juniors, which, like, never happens with New Japan, but they had four days in a row, and there's, like, <laughs> only so much time we have. Um, but, uh, you know, we saw there was a few other things that um, we enjoyed. We've been introduced now to El Fantasmo. Yes, we had seen him before in, like, a, a multi-man match, but... Um... Yeah, he's great. Yeah, well, one of the things that we were talking about was um, how one of the things we couldn't get behind with this Robbie Eagles is that they put him in Bullet Club, but he he's not a heel. He's not a good heel at all. He, like, all of his mannerisms, everything that he does just screams, like, I want to be liked. I want to be a ba- <laughs> I want to be a baby face. And so there's just something that, like, kind of prevents us from, you know, being interested in him. They bring, they brought El Fantasmo into Bullet Club, and he's perfect for that. Yeah, total jerk. He flipped off a baby. A baby. A literal baby in the crowd. He gave it the bird. <laughs> like, it's not even a joke. Like, no. this is the thing that a happened. A baby. And so, yeah, that's the kind of guy this is. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's, perfect for he Bullet just, Club. Yeah, he's perfect for Bullet Club. He's just, yeah, he's curses a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's he's a bad guy um just to for the sake of posterity should in the future this be the only record of what happened on that night between shingo and show all other internet records are lost this is all we have uh, i wanted to say that shingo pinned show after the last of the dragon finished and that uh probably about four and a half stars on the uncle dave Meltzer scale in my mind which means that's between Great match and best match you'll ever see. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to put that out there. All right. We didn't say who won. It was Shingo. 
No, I think we did. <laughs> well, I'm reiterating. He won. All right. <laughs> Christina hates it so much anytime I reference the star rating of a match. Uh, all right. Should should we do some uh, listener questions? Yeah. All right. Well, I have them all written down here. It is in my handwriting. Um, they send them to us on the internet. I don't know why I don't just like print it out or something, but instead I copy it down. And then I can't read it. And then I can't read it. All right. So we work stiff. Wants to know. Ah, okay. Do we have any theories about why ticket sales are so slow for the G1 Climax uh, grand opening in, in Dallas? Uh, is support for New Japan cooling off in the United States? Uh, or is it wrong with the bad market? Or what, what's happening here? And I know you've put some thought into it. Yeah, well, I have a couple of theories just sort of based on what everyone else is talking about online. Uh, one... I do think that maybe um, interest in New Japan is cooling off a little bit with the exit of all your um, all elite guys. Um, I also think that based on um, what I have read some people talking about is while there's interest in New Japan, it's not like a super strong, like completely well-educated interest. And there were people expressing, I guess, concern about buying tickets before there was a card. Um, and maybe that comes from the, that run of New Japan shows where we didn't get any Japanese talent. Yeah. But if you know anything about the G1, then you're, you know that, one, they have to have the talent here because they have to run the tournament. And two, opening night is always fire. So regardless of what the card looks like, you're going to get an amazing show. Um, but maybe it's true that, that people aren't quite educated enough to know that you can take a chance on this show. It's going to work out. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things going on. And I, I don't know the market research. Obviously, you would assume that New Japan has better access to like which markets watch their show on Access TV, where their subscribers come from presumably that went into making this decision maybe not who knows but um it, it doesn't necessarily seem like logical to be like dallas is where we're gonna go yeah that was strange like i me. understand the los angeles area there's a huge asian american population a lot of uh, japanese uh, immigrants are live there and so there's like a natural attraction there's a natural built-in crowd and also it's a hot wrestling market um and so you would have thought if they wanted to move out of California, maybe they go to Chicago. Chicago, that would has, have been my that would which that's is where, where I thought they would right, go. All in is and like pretty much every week in Chicago, there's multiple high level wrestling shows. There's obviously a, a big demand for it in that area, and or New York City. Right. Like those are the places that you would assume they would go to next. Going to a big arena in Dallas, um, it, it never made any sense to me. But you know, I confess that that could possibly be ignorance. But uh, I'm not sure why Dallas and, and maybe never Dallas again after this. But um, also there's the fact that this if, if this is supposed to be like a big event that the wrestling community travels to and, and comes in, in mass, the hardcore fan base, the problem that they have is like just a month before, there's a competing show in Las Vegas called Double or Nothing that, by the way, all of your former most popular wrestlers <laughs> are headlining. Yeah. And so that's kind of an issue. So like, right. you know, we're crazy enough that we're going to both live. 
but uh, how many people can make that decision? Yeah, if and, and if we couldn't drive to Dallas, we wouldn't be going to both. Right, we'd say well, there's no way we'd afford four plane tickets to both. So, yeah, so it is, it, it's worked out for us to go to both, but probably for a lot of people, it's a choice that they've had to make, which is we're going to go travel to see a big wrestling show with all this talent that we love. Uh, is it going to be New Japan? Or is it going to be the the first big AEW show and people have gone with AEW? And so I think that's a, a factor too. Fair. I think that's probably fair. All right. So Outlaw Jamboree wants to know, if y'all were wrestlers, what would your gear be? And I know that that's partially prompted by our constant participation in something called the Full Gear Challenge, which is something <laughs> that Hangman Adam Page started because he had gotten a little bit out of shape. And uh, the, the guys, the boys in the back, challenged him to both get skinnier and larger at the same time. And then we have taken on the same challenge. Yes. It is not as crazy as it sounds, actually. You have gotten skinnier and bigger. Yes. I mean, and I planned it that way. I... There's no way Hangman Page works as hard as you do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I concentrated on the skinnier and then started working on the bigger, and it's been working pretty good. All right. So you've got the look now. You've got abs, like a literal six-pack, even though we're a little bit older. You pulled it off. You've got uh -huh. muscles. Um so what's your what's your gear? All right. Well, so I've been an athlete. I was a an athlete for years. Um, so I know a few things about what I need in terms of athletic gear. Uh, one, I'm going for comfort. So sorry, I, this I'm not going to be wearing like those weird fancy structured bra things that Charlotte Flair tries to wear. There aren't going to be any wardrobe malfunctions. I cannot stand to have my boobs move <laughs> in an athletic competition. So I'm definitely going with something more um, more athletic, more but like Ronda you, Rousey. Are you sure, though? Because you know the famous Rick Rude saying. No. That wrestling is an upper body business, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I think that may apply to the women, too. <laughs> yeah uh no not no, for you huh no 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 you know you're gonna no. hold those girls oh, they're strapped they're gonna be strapped in <laughs> and uh also i also know from all my athletic pursuits that i i'm a sweater i sweat profusely so i have two options which is either um something that uh can absorb all that sweat <laughs> or Almost nothing at all. And I think I'd probably go with almost nothing at all. Nice. <laughs> all right. Well, so you've put some thought into, like, the functionality of it. Nothing at all about the aesthetics. You're, 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 no. the, you're there to be, like, to get this wrestling business done. Yes. I don't give a damn what you look like. I, no, not at all. It's a shoot. That's a shoot. All right. So for me, um, I'm not really sure. Like, I've undertaken the full gear challenge, but I started from a, a worse position. And so um, I'm definitely not ready for, like, small trunks, I don't think. Like the Speedo-style Ken Shamrock and Pancras red trunks with, like, uh, the Tom McGee half-your-butt-crack. Oh, Kenny Green Shorts. Kenny Omega <laughs> Green Shorts. I'm not ready for that. What I What I'm thinking about is, like, 80s era like rock and roll express so i'm wearing a t-shirt the sleeves are cut off okay because that's badass 
Uh, it's got some kind of badass band on it, like Poison or Rat or Warrant or okay. something. And then you got tights, but also bandanas. I basically want to be in the Rock and Roll Express. Or the Young Bucks. Or the Young Bucks. <laughs> I had a little friend, she got the Young Bucks. So yeah, that's kind of my deal. That's what I'd go for. Okay. All right. All right. You want to do another one? All right. All right. <laughs> uh, I don't know the if we know the answer to this. Achilles Blues wants to know, has there ever been a wrestler with a water polo gimmick? Mm, yikes. I don't know. I can't think of one. So I, I can't either. I, like that specifically. There there was Johnny Polo, which is what Raven was called in WWF like uh, 25 years ago. And he was like played like a stuck up. Preppy. Like a polo shirt. Yes, Johnny oh, Polo. Oh, I gotcha. But I don't know if he played... He probably did water polo, but it wasn't explicitly addressed. Um, coach plays rugby or coaches rugby? Yes, but he also plays. He's a player coach. So yeah, Taguchi is a rugby player, so that's a, a variation. And there's also was a wrestler in all Japan in the 90s called lacrosse. And it was uh, Jumpin' Jim Steele, who was a WCW jobber. Uh, beloved WC jobber. Um, he wore a mask as lacrosse, and later he was uh, Wolf Hawkfield, who was uh, the wrestling character in the video game Virtua Fighter. Uh, those were his roles. Did it have anything to do with lacrosse? Not that I could tell. Okay. And I don't know if that was a Japanese reference I was missing, but right. definitely Wolf Hawkfield was from the video game Virtua Fighter. And um, none of that shit worked for Jensio. <laughs> But lacrosse is like the cousin of water polo. Uh, the short answer is we don't have any. Wait, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming not. Um, let's do one more. Okay. All right, so then we'll save a couple for the next show. All right, All it's right. up to you. So clean jab. This is going back to um, to when uh, Dean Ambrose left WWE and he put a his sole tweet. He had 600,000 Twitter followers, no tweets. His sole tweet was this, this great video, oh, yeah, of, a great video of himself uh, going back to the name John Moxley. So this guy wants to know, does John Moxley excite you? What promotions would you want to see him in? And then Clean Jab speculated that uh, he would do great with Mance Warner in a match. Okay. So you, you took the time to do some studying. Yeah, I wasn't really familiar with... Um his John Moxley character. I'm barely familiar with Dean Ambrose to be completely <laughs> honest with you. Um, so I did, I, I went back, I found as many matches as I could. I watched a bunch of his promos. Um, I will straight up tell you that his promos are better than his matches. Um, he was a, like a very disturbed individual and did a really good job of communicating that in his promos. Um, you know, just one of those guys who was angry about a lot of stuff paranoid always thought people were you know after what he had and trying to bring him down and and maybe they were <laughs> but um it you know good entertaining promos um most of the matches that i saw were i guess death matches i mean is that i think so i, I mean yeah. is that a fair um i mean not all of them were quite as crazy as some of the death matches i've seen but i guess death matches and um Eh, they were okay. I mean... I, I like this. So we watched one that I thought was really the, good. The one I watched with you was actually my favorite by yeah. far. So it was against a, a guy named Brain Damage, who we found out later has, has since passed away. So rest in peace, uh, Brain Damage. 
But this was an incredible death match between John Moxley and, and Brain Damage, and it was an outdoor show. Um, like in a field somewhere mm-hmm. and like you could see like the cars where the people had parked like just kind of right yeah. behind where they were where they were at and there weren't a ton of people there but these dudes killed each other in this match yeah. and it was like stapling each other and had like all kinds of power tools and like just the complete insanity and um uh, so that was definitely my favorite as such things go that was pretty good and so it's like that's the kind of match where you could see someone wanting him to do a hardcore match with uh Mance. With Mance or like Nick Gage or he could go up and work a bar show with uh, Casanova Valentine or something like uh, What about Jimmy Havoc? Jimmy Havoc. Uh, so yeah, so I mean obviously this guy is talented enough that he could literally work anywhere. And so it'll be it'll be up to him what he wants to do. And so obviously it's something different than what he was doing in wwe yeah well i went back to watch some wwe stuff too because like i said i wasn't even really familiar with gene ambrose and he's real solid he's he's a real solid guy so i mean yeah he, i mean he you could slot him in just about anywhere he's a veteran he obviously knows what he's doing yeah he's good i would say speaking for myself he's not someone that you know i would drive across the country to see in a wrestling match on for his sake right and he's fine I never really got, I don't think I ever really got the lunatic fringe um, gimmick in WWE because I don't, I can't, I don't really remember them ever letting him cut quite as loose as he was when he was this John Moxley character. Yeah, so that's the problem is I'm sure then that was what he felt, which is that he was being constrained and not, you know, not giving the opportunity to, to work to his, the best of his ability. And so give, left to his own devices now and, and seeing what these other guys have done when when like someone lets go of the reins and, okay, now you're going full speed ahead, um, that can be good or bad. So we'll see which it is for him, like whether he needed that, someone holding back the right. reins a little or now if with the, the complete freedom, maybe he does something better than he's ever done before. Yeah, sometimes you just have to bet on yourself. Absolutely. So let's do one more. Okay. Um so Rudy Hernandez wants to know, as a fan, and this applies to us because we've had to make this decision recently, uh, what factors go into wanting to attend an event live? And uh, is it certain wrestlers, certain matches? Is there a company, seeing friends? Like, uh, why why go to some events and not others? What, what would drive you to an event? Um, so, let's see. First and foremost... If I can drive there and I don't have to fly, I, I pretty much watch any wrestling. <laughs> and then, of course, my second consideration um, has to be, am I going, is it just me or just me and you, or are we taking the kids? Well, let's just say in a theoretical world in which the only thing your decision is based on is me? your wrestling opinions. Um. Then it's who I'm going to get to see live, the wrestlers. So who who are the wrestlers that would inspire you to... I'm going to Las Vegas to see Kenny Omega. Kenny. Yes. None of that other stuff is as important. No. If he was going to be, if, you know, if he was going to be in the G1 this year in Dallas, I wouldn't be going to Las Vegas. So it's definitely wrestler specific for you. Yes. Are there... now he, I mean, he's not the only sure. wrestler, but that's just an example. Like, 
it's going to be the wrestler that's going to bring me to the show. And I think that's a, a very specific case, right? Because Kenny has not, you know, he's been in Japan a lot. His big matches haven't been in the States in a long time, if ever. And so, like, to be able to see him, and we haven't seen him at all in months now, so, like, it, being able to see him is a big deal. But, you know, for so many of the other talents we like, they're working somewhere every weekend, mm-hmm. multiple places. So um, outside of this, you know, Kenny being a special case right now, uh, who else do you think you saw their name on the card and you were like, okay, maybe I wasn't going to go, but now I will drive to Nashville or let's drive to Atlanta. Let's go to New Orleans. Like what, who, who are some of the people that would inspire you to go? Um, well, obviously the big names from New Japan would inspire me to go. Um, I would go see MJF pretty much anywhere in any promotion. Um, who else? What about you? I don't know because, you know, it's it's hard for me to put that, to think that way because we've been going to so much wrestling this year, but it was kind of, it's kind of business driven in the sense that we're trying, Ryan Loco and I are trying to get pictures and interviews for this book we're doing about wrestling in 2019. And so it's not necessarily fan driven. You know, it's like who, who, who's going to allow us to come to right. their show and, you know, how can we get there and how much is it going to cost? And, you know, can we afford another one this month? Those are like the decisions we're making, so it's not it's hard to put on a fan hat. Um, but I, I think if I was thinking merely as a, a fan, um, one of the best experiences I've had in a long time was MLW. I was gonna say uh, I I know you would travel to see yeah. MLW. Well, I did, and right. so um, and and that's part of the reason I think we decided to do this podcast is just the how much we enjoyed watching it on TV and then my experience live. Um, so that's a show I would travel to see and do. Um, and Kenny is another one. Kenny Omega, uh, New Japan is a promotion that I would go and see, not a specific wrestler, but that promotion I'd believe in and trust in their quality. And uh, so I think I'm kind of a split a little bit between like going to see a specific wrestler, but also trusting in certain promotions to, to deliver. And, and so that, uh, New Japan, Ring of Honor, MLW or all promotions that I I trust that they're cultivating the best talent that they're bringing in the best workers that they're going to put on the best show they can. Yeah, I mean that's sort of what I was um, telling you with the first part of that answer is that um, deciding on whether or not to go to see a show or deciding which show to see I have different tiers because there's different criteria if I'm going to have to fly. And and that criteria is is Kenny Omega going to be there? <laughs> and then if I but then if I can drive but maybe have to take a couple of days in order to make the trip, then you're going to move to that second tier where it needs to be, uh, you know, wrestlers that I really want to see. But if it's like say this Jacksonville show, which I mean also has Kenny, but even if it didn't, like I can go there and come back in basically like a day. So it's like a third tier where it doesn't have to, they don't have to be my favorite wrestlers. Like, it just has to be, you know, somebody I might be interested in, or like you said, a promotion that I trust that will have a a, a good entertaining show. So it's really like, you know, I have to take into account those practical things when I'm deciding, like, who who am I, who do I want to go see, who am I willing to, to go see? So do you think that over time, like uh, as we go to Double or Nothing and then we go to see AEW in Jacksonville again, um, 
will will your interest kind of wane in having to see Kenny live in some of these matches, or do you think uh, you'll be able to maintain? I think it, it depends entirely on probably like uh, how he's performing and what uh, AEW is doing. Like, I mean, if he's still performing to the to the level that he has been, and if AEW has uh, uh, grabbed my attention with their uh, television product, then I mean, then yeah, I'd probably be looking to go see them live any chance that I have. All right, so uh, I think that's a a pretty good edition of the show. We're gonna wrap it up. Um, you always tend to have like an idea of like what's coming next. Like I'm living moment to moment. And I, <laughs> I'm an uh, I'm an idiot. Like I I I know I've got stuff to do tomorrow, but I'm not sure what it is until I look at my calendar. Like. Uh, so what what's what do we have coming up? Well, enjoy? we're in the midst of Best of Super oh, of Junior, course, yes. so I mean that's gonna continue. Um, WWE has a pay per view, Money in the Bank. Oh, very exciting! I <laughs> like Money in the Bank. Yeah. Um, and then of course um, next week we're on a plane. Wow! <laughs> time has just flown. Wait, wait. So next week at this time we will be. Getting ready to go to Las yes. Vegas for a double or nothing. Yes. This is incredible. Yes, I know. I I knew you were probably not aware of how close that trip was. No, <laughs> so you, you never know what's going on. Wow. So, um, as, as it's coming up, what are what are what are your feelings? Are you trepidatious? Are you excited? Like, what are what are your thoughts? Like, uh, um, can Kenny and Jericho live up to the hype? I I mean I have to. I'll just be totally honest. Most of my thoughts right now are taken up with trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to do with these kids um, in terms of, you know, getting them on an airplane, getting them through the flight, and then uh, figuring out how to entertain them for however many days we're in Las Vegas. As the as we get there and we get settled um, and the, you know, show is coming up, then, then I think my thoughts will turn more to what I'm excited about in the show. But yeah, right now I'm just like really nervous about the travel because this is a big deal for the boys. It's, um, it's our, our oldest son hasn't flown since he was three. So he of course doesn't remember the experience at all. And our youngest has never flown. Yeah. And so Ray, for those who don't know us, like both of our kids have, um, I guess autism. moderate to severe yeah. autism. So they're very, you know, a lot of extra challenges. A lot of it's extra not, challenges. It's not just that they're kids. Right, and anxieties. Uh, which is, you know, and... enough. A uh, kid's first flight is can be a little uh, exasperating. <laughs> 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 but, um, you know, they have a challenge. Di- they have a different set of challenges. And so, yeah, we have to deal through with that and, and get the, and we're going someplace they've never been that they don't know anything about. Um, it turns out they don't even know who Kenny Omega is. So. <laughs> so they don't have that natural level of excitement that mom has. So yeah, it's the, I got to get through those challenges first and then I'll be able to concentrate on the show. Right, well, I probably won't even really think about the show until we're getting ready to go. <laughs> all right. Well, so next time that we, we reconvene here, it won't be next week. It'll be after probably. Probably. Yes. We do double or nothing. It'll be uh, most likely right after the, the debut of our MLW podcast, which we're working on right now. It's going to be uh, pretty exciting. We're going to be 
um, not just talking about their television show every week, but talking with the wrestlers and promoters and people involved in putting the show on to give um, fans like us an idea of like what goes on to what goes into putting on a wrestling show like this. Right, pull back the curtain a little bit. A little bit, yeah. So that it should be fun and, and exciting, and so um, you'll get to hear us twice as much. Maybe more than that if we actually do this podcast every week like we're supposed to. So, uh, <laughs> well, I will for sure have you here recording uh, after Devil or Nothing because you're gonna have to talk about that experience. Yeah, we, the people are gonna have to know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm really excited about it, and I'm, you know, we've made a commitment to each other that we will continue this podcast. You know, no matter what happens and whether or not the other one is successful or we enjoy it or continue doing it, like, um, just this one where we shoot the shit is uh, an entirely different deal. And so, uh, you know, whether it's every week or not, we'll definitely be here doing this. <laughs>